Good morning. Happy Lord's Day. Oh, it's good to hear your voice and to hear you sing and to even be greeted Happy Lord's Day. When I say that at other churches, they look at me funny, as you used to, but not anymore. Um, so it's a joy to be back with you. I realize that in the bulletin, it doesn't say the page number for our text today. So um, if someone wants to find that for us in the Pew Bible, that would be great. Um, we're taking a break from our series on the Minor Prophets for a few weeks. This week, I'm preaching here on um, pastor, uh, the pastoral ministry because we're going to vote today on whether we should have another pastor in this church. Um, next week, John Lee will be preaching also pr- pretty much on the similar theme on pastoral ministry. And then in August, on August 11th, we will resume our series in, um, in, on the Minor Prophets. So, because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Peter writes here to a suffering church, telling them to endure suffering, to continue to trust Christ in the midst of suffering and hostility from a hostile world and a hostile enemy, namely Satan himself. And so this is written to a church, to churches, to Christians who are facing these intense persecutions and intense difficulties in following Jesus. So we're going to look at this and think about what pastoral ministry has to do with it here this morning. Uh, Does anyone have it in the Pew Bible? 1078. Thank you. So turn to page 1078. If this is your first time using a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew under you. I'm reading out the Christian Standard Bible. And turn to page 1078 and you'll you'll find the text right there. All right. Hear God's word then from 1 Peter chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. And there's a missing word here. I'm going to read the missing word here that's missing in a lot of translations. It begins with therefore, okay? Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out, of, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief pastor, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Father, we thank you for a chance to meditate here on your word again this morning. Father, you are here. Your spirit is here. Your son is here. And you are speaking to us this morning. We pray that we would see the glories of Christ from this passage, the unique glories and beauties of Christ that we see in this passage. We pray that you would warm our hearts and soften our hearts to you. Lord, we're desperate for your help. So help us to not be professional hearers and professional speakers of your word guides along the way and if you're not a christian you are still looking for guides along your journey and you've come here and you get to hear a word from god that perhaps i pray would guide you even this morning the problem and the difficulty for us is that the world confuses us there's a lot of different opinions of what we should be doing with our lives christian or non-christian there's a lot of different christians who have opinions of what we should be doing with our lives even members of our own church a lot of different pastors who tell us what we should do There are so many opinions, so many options, and we are left with the question, how do I know the best way to move forward in my life? What if I make a wrong decision? 
What if I choose the wrong path? So we say, what, what should we do as Christians? Oh, I know what we should do. We should read our Bible, right? Read our Bibles. Ah, uh, yes, of course, read your Bible. But what if I'm not understanding the Bible correctly? What if I'm not applying it correctly? So we need guidance. We need what the Bible calls shepherding. We need pastoring. And Jesus here, it says in verse 4, is the chief pastor. It doesn't say he's the chief pastor, it just says the chief shepherd. But in chapter 3, he's also named here as um, is it the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I think it's chapter 3, maybe it's chapter 4. Jesus is, Jesus is identified as the chief pastor or the chief shepherd. So Jesus is the pastor. He's our perfect and infallible pastor. I love what we sang in holy, holy, holy. Perfect in power, love, and purity. It's scary if you have a pastor who's, who's perfect in power, but not in love and purity, right? Because he, if he has all the power and no love or purity, then he could use his power to oppress and abuse. But Jesus is not only perfect in power, he's perfect in love. He's perfect in purity. So he's completely trustworthy to have that power. And so Jesus is our infallible, powerful pastor. And he seeks to guide us. The Lord is my shepherd. I have no lack or I shall not want, right? God is our shepherd. But how does God shepherd us? How does he guide us? How does he guide you? Well, the Bible, you say. Jesus does speak through the Bible infallibly, inerrantly. But, well, what if we're interpreting it wrong? So what do we do? Well, Jesus gives us fallible, but oftentimes, hopefully, faithful pastors under shepherds to be an important and nearly, I say nearly, a nearly indispensable means of your life. God gives you churches and he gives you pastors human fallible under shepherds as a nearly indispensable part of your life to help guide you to what God's calling you to do in your life in the fellowship of his church. Jesus means to shepherd each of his sheep. He knows each of you by name and he puts you in a particular church with particular pastors to help guide you in your life. So in this passage, Jesus is not talking to the church members. Look at verse five or chapter five, verse one. I exhort the who? The elders, and an elder, pastor, overseer, it's all the same role or office. I'm not going to take the time. I had notes here, but um, I want to shorten, uh, I cut that out for now. But pastor, elder, overseer, it's all the same role. So I exhort the elders, the pastors among you as a fellow elder. So he's not preaching here. He's not writing this section to the whole church. But he's writing this section to the elders and pastors in a letter that's to the whole church. So pastors, I'm talking to myself talking maybe to one who might be voted in as a pastor today. I'm also talking to other men, other men here who God's going to be calling a pastoral ministry. I don't know who you are exactly, but God knows. And I'm talking to you because God is going to be calling out from our church men for pastoral ministry. And he's calling all of our church to, to faithfully recognize according to this passage. So this is for the whole church. Chapter 1, verse 1 says that this letter is written to the elect, the chosen one. So if you're a Christian, this whole letter is for you. And so Peter wants Christians to overhear what he's telling pastors here. So what's the main idea here? There's one command, one exhortation in this passage, and it's in verse 2. He's talking to the elders among the churches as a fellow elder. And what's the command here, the exhortation in verse 2? Shepherd God's flock among you. Pastor, and shepherd is the same word, pastor God's flock among you. Shepherd God's flock among you. So the main goal of this passage, or the main idea of the passage, is shepherd, God, shepherd God's flock under the chief shepherd. Or pastor God's flock under the chief pastor. The main goal for the pastors is shepherd or pastor God's flock among you 
under the chief pastor. If you're a member of this church, the goal is be shepherded. Be shepherded in God's flock under the chief pastor by your pastors. Be shepherded. So the call to pastors, you need a pastor. You need a shepherd. The call to members, you need to be shepherded and receive and seek shepherding from pastors in your church. Now, according to our new constitution, which was just passed this month, it says this. I'm going to read two long paragraphs here, but it's really setting up our church for this message and really for even our our members meeting today. Subject to the will of the congregation, the pastors, elders, overseers, all same office, shall provide broad oversight to the ministry, financial management, and resources of the church. So notice here, pastors are to provide broad oversight to the ministry, financial management, and resources of the church. Now it says here, the very first line of this constitution says, subject to the will of the congregation. We're a congregationalist church. We're not elder rule. It's subject to the will of the congregation. So we have members meetings, and the church can overturn things if they so choose. But subject to the will of the congregation, as Baptists, as Congregationalists, and we believe that's biblical. I'm not going to defend that here. But even under that will of the congregation, pastors, shepherds, elders, overseers, all the same office, they are to exercise broad oversight. That's what we're to do. I'll read on here in what they do. They should seek the mind of Christ through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God as they undertake shepherding, the work of shepherding God's flock. The pastors are fundamentally the church's leading theologians of the Word, namely pastor theologians. The pastors shall teach and exhort, refute those who contradict the truth, pray for the sick, care for the church's members, devote themselves to prayer, to the government of the church, and to ministry. The pastors shall provide oversight of the congregation and lead the church to fulfill its ministries. 8.2.05, the pastors shall take particular responsibility to oversee worship services, oversee the administration of the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, equip the church body for the work of the ministry, encourage and teach sound doctrine, admonish and correct error, oversee the process of church discipline, coordinate and promote the ministries of the church, mobilize the church for domestic church planning and world missions, examine and provide... Examine and instruct prospective members. It's new members' classes. Examine and recommend all prospective candidates for offices and, and positions and oversee the work of the deacons, deaconesses, and appointed church agents and committees. The pastors, elders, overseers are further to ensure that all who minister the word to the congregation, including outside speakers, share our fundamental convictions. That's the calling, the role, responsibilities of pastors. Now, is that biblical? That's not, I didn't quote the Bible here. I quoted our Constitution. Is that biblical, though? That's the question. I think it is. But who cares what I think? Right? It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. Ultimately, it matters what the Bible says. So we need to look at what the Bible says. So, okay, so if you're saying, okay, PJ, we're going to spend an hour here thinking about pastoral ministry, but I'm not a pastor. True. But you need to understand this because you need to pray for your pastors. You need to submit to your pastors. You need to hold your pastors accountable when they go out of line. And you need to recognize new pastors as God leads our church to do that. So you need to know what the Bible says. If you're not a Christian, you just need to know that God wants to guide you as well through his Bible and through his church and through pastors. And that's a gift that Jesus has for you because he loves you and is calling you to himself. All right, so now let's go to 1 Peter 5 here, 1 through 4, and let's think about shepherding the church. I have three points And this is not a typical outline, but here's the three points. What is commanded? We're going to look at what is commanded. We're going to, that's point number one. Secondly, we're going to look at how you should obey this command or how should you shepherd. So what is the command? How you should 
obey this command, pastors? And thirdly, why? So what, how, and why? What should you do? Why should you do? Or how should you do it? And why should you do it? Number one, what is commanded? And you already told me in verse two, what's the command? Shepherd the flock, shepherd God's flock among you. So the command here, shepherd God's flock among you. Let's just think about that. Shepherd God's flock among you. Who's he talking to? Elders. Elders are also called pastors. So pastors shepherd God's flock among you. Who's to be shepherded? God's flock. So is it for Christians? Are they supposed to be shepherding Christians and non-Christians as pastors or only Christians? It says shepherd God's flock. Is that Christians only or non-Christians as well? Christians only, right? So pastors are pastors of their congregation of Christians, professing Christians, not non-Christians, okay? So pastors are pastors of Christians, God's flock. And it's God's flock who is what in verse 2? Shepherds God, shepherd God's flock where? Among who? Among you. So you're in a certain place. You're in a local church. So I'm a pastor, but I'm not a pastor of other churches. We're here in L.A. I was at First Baptist Church of Forks, Washington last Sunday. And I came there as a, as a Christian visiting that church. And I was not a, I'm a pastor of this church. I'm not a pastor of that church. So I'm not responsible to shepherd that church because I'm not among them. Who am I among? I'm among the 82 members, 81 members, including myself, 82 members of Bethany Baptist Church. This is who I'm among. So we're to shepherd our flock, uh, pastors shepherd their flock, their local church, who they are among. So how do you know who is part of the church? How do you know who's part of a local church? Well, look at the membership directory, right? That's what Peter should have told the elders, right? Check your membership directory, right? Did they have membership directories back then? Did they have a Xerox machine? Oh, Xerox, I'm dating myself now. A copy machine, uh, whatever that's called. Was it Xerox machine, right? Um, do they have computers and printers? No, they don't have that. They don't have iPhones to take pictures. Um, but how do they know who the members were? All of those who were what? Baptized and who take the what? The Lord's Supper. That's why we fence the table here and we say, if you're not a member of this church or a church that preaches the same gospel, do not take the Lord's Supper. Because we're talking about members, those who, are, who, are, who have officially publicly said, I'm a Christian. Not just privately professed. They, they profess it in baptism. We have a baptistry back here. And then they profess it through the Lord's Supper. That's who the saints are. And the ones who regularly take that in this church, that's the members of the church. And so pastors are to shepherd these people. These people are shepherded by Christ's blood. When I look here at the 82 members of our church here in our membership directory, these people have been purchased by Christ's blood, it says in Acts 20, 28. Um, some here in our church, um, we should be pastoring people who are wandering. Some who might be leaving the church for disciplinable reasons, where they should be excommunicated. They should shepherd the wandering sheep, the, not just the easy sheep. It's easy for pastors to shepherd the easy sheep. That's the ones that, that you know, we always want the easier, the path of least resistance, right? And so, but they should also shepherd the wandering sheep. They should, they, should, they should treat their members as those who are, and I try to remind myself of this regularly, when I look at the faces here, those who are greater than John the Baptist. Do you know that every one of the members in our church are greater than John the Baptist, according to Jesus? Do we treat each other as those who are greater? I mean, what if John the Baptist came here with his camel clothes, right? Eating locusts and wild honey. I mean, would you respect him? Would you care for him? If he had needs, would you meet them? Would you gossip about him? Would you slander him behind his back? Probably not. You probably wouldn't do that to John the Baptist. And Jesus says, the least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than John the Baptist. Every one of our members is greater than John the Baptist. 
And according to Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, some of our members are working through Ephesians in our expository preaching workshop. Every member, according to Ephesians 4, 7 through 10, every member is a personal gift from Jesus to this church family. All 82 of you are a personal gift from the Lord Jesus to this church family. And so pastors need to take their job seriously because these are not just, he doesn't choose who joins the church. Jesus does. Jesus adds them to the church. And so pastors must shepherd the flock of God who's among them. The local church is your spiritual, your immediate spiritual family. And God has given them to us. You know, there was a story, I've told this story to you before, when I was a church planner in LA, I was there and there was a Spanish congregation that um, was meeting after us and we were paying their rent so that they could meet. That was part of our mission to start another church. And he was in the, um, the Spanish pastor went to the, um, you know, there's a lot of homeless in L.A. where we were at. And he brought two homeless men into the church in our, during our lunchtime. And he sat them down in front of me. I was happy to meet them. And he says, he says to them, this is PJ. He is your pastor now. And he looked at them like, PJ, this is your, you know, this is your, and he just told them I'm their pastor. And I was like, I, don't, I just met them. Like, I'm their pastor? Now, again, if you, don't, if you don't understand that you're shepherding God's flock among you, you think that anyone who's a Christian, you're their pastor. Or anyone who just says, I want to be under your pastoral leadership, I'm their pastor. No, I'm a pastor of a local church. And there are members to this local church. So, you know, I just had to explain to them, listen, I'm, I'm your neighbor. If you're a Christian, I'm your brother in Christ. Praise God for that. It's more important. It's more important than being a pastor. It's being your brother in Christ, right? That's more important. But if you're a member of the church, hey, I'm your pastor. But if you're not a member of the church, I'm your friend, you know. But I'm not your pastor. But I'm, I want to help you. How can I help, you know? The, the point here is... Um, we want, uh, we want to make sure that pastors know who they're accountable to and who they're accountable for before God when they give an account. All right, so we talked about the among you part. But let's look at the command again in verse 2. The command here is, the verb here is shepherd. Shepherd God's flock among you. Pastor them. Pastor them. What does a shepherd do? Let's just think about this imagery for a second. What does a shepherd do? He what? He has sheep. There's a picture. You got a stained glass window there. There, illustration right there. Stained glass window of Jesus there with a shepherd's staff with sheep. What do shepherds do? Name some things the shepherds do. You tell me. Say it out loud. Watch over the flock. Guide. Protect. What else? Find lost sheep. Feed. Equip. Equip the sheep to do sheepish things. Right. This is how you drink water, sheep. Right. Let me show you. Yeah. Equip, okay, so, and Ivan's already thinking about biblical text, that's why he's so, you know, the text's already going around in his mind. But yeah, equipping. So, so what you have here is you have sheep who are feeding. How do we feed? How do, how, do, um, how do we feed church members? The word of God, right? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So feed them God's word. So feeding the sheep. So pastors should be preaching. They should be teaching the word of God. Um, that's, that's in Colossians 1, 2 Timothy 4, 2 says, Preach the word, persistent in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Colossians 1, 20 and 29, pr- we proclaim Christ. So we do expository preaching and teaching in this church. What is expository preaching? Some of you are at the workshop. What is expository preaching? It's when you take, when the words and goal of the text, the words and goal of the text controls the words and goal of the sermon. You know, when we went to First Baptist Church of Forks, Washington, I was a little nervous going there. I didn't know how the preacher was going to do, you know. 
But praise God, you know, in this, you know, very small town, he's there expositing Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and just went verse by verse through, and uh, we're really encouraged by that. But it's taking the words of the text and the goal of the text and letting that control the words and goal of the sermon. Pastors should not only be Bible-centered and even gospel-centered, but Christ-centered. They need to be preaching Jesus Christ. He is the chief pastor. He is the shepherd of your souls. He's the one speaking through me. He is the message I'm speaking out to you. And you are the body of Christ. So it's all about Jesus. It's about preaching and teaching the word of God so that Jesus might be formed in you, seen by you, trusted by you, and then formed in you. That we embody Christ as the body of Christ. And so pastors should be preaching. Pastors should also be praying. They should, well, I'm, um, yeah, they should also be praying. Acts 6, 4 says, the, the apostles, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they should be devoted to, the, to prayer. Pastors should pray for each one of his church members and for the church regularly. They should take time to do that. And we do that looking, praying in Jesus' name. So that's what pastors should do. They should be preaching, feeding the flock, praying for the flock. Members should encourage their pastors to pray. You should be encouraging your pastors to study God's word and to teach God's word faithfully. Um, pastors are not only uh, to be feeding the flock, they're to be equipping the flock. And that's what, what um, a brother said back there. Um, it says in Ephesians 4, 11, he, he personally gave some, Jesus personally gave some to be pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Jesus gives pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But we don't have to guess uh, about what, what pastors should be doing because there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a description here in verse 2. Go back to verse 2. Chapter 5, verse 2. Shepherd God's flock among you. And here's a clue on what shepherding means. So we talk about feeding and equipping. But what does it say here? Not what? Overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. So what should a pastor do? Oversee. See over. Watch over. He should care. He should guide. He should watch over the flock. That's why we call this, in church history, historically we call this chair here the elder's chair. Or the pastor's chair. Because even as a pastor sits here during the gathering, he's able to see over the flock and just think about different members as he's been praying for them and, and seeing their lives and seeing them come in on time or not on time, right? <laughs> he gets to watch over their souls and see the little habits of, you know, are they fighting? Are the couple fighting as they're coming in? Or, you know, um, where are they at? The, you know, as this is the prime seats right here, you know, um, to, to see that. But, it, but the goal of it is to watch over and care for the flock to care for their souls, like a shepherd watching over a flock. So a, a, a pastor, a shepherd, he'll see, if there's a wolf over there, he's not saying, hey, sheep, let's go over there, right? He's gonna see out ahead. Sheep can't see that far. The pastor sees wolves. He says, let's go in this direction. He sees a cliff over here. So he looks over, he sees danger over there. Hey, let's not go that way. Let's go this direction. So he shepherds the sheep this way. He says, oh, there, there's water over here. There's grass over there. So he looks out over the flock and sees where there's danger, where there's nourishment, where there's opportunities, where there's opportunities for growth, where there's, and, and even checking within the flock as they interact with each other. That's what pastors do. They do macro shepherding, checking on the whole church, the direction of the whole church, and then micro shepherding, checking on each sheep. Is each sheep okay with God in their walk with God? How are they doing? How can we help them grow? Macro and micro teaching, macro and micro praying, macro and micro equipping and oversight and modeling mature Christianity. Pastors guide. Shepherds guide. So pastors are to guide this church to fulfill our mission. What's our mission as a church? Does anyone know? This is a 
test of my leadership communication skills here. What's the mission of our church? What's that? Anyone want to guess? Go all into all the world baptizing men. Okay. So preaching the gospel, baptizing men, the Great Commission. Anyone else? Follow Jesus and what? Help others follow Jesus. Yeah. That's what we call, yeah. Um, the Great Commission would be discipling, right? Disciple all nations. So pastoring is guiding the church so that the church disciples. Is the pastor the only discipler in the church? No. He guides the church so that the church disciples. And we have to, I, so for me as a pastor here, I have to think, how does this church disciple each other? And how do we disciple the neighbors here in southeast Los Angeles? I don't have to think about northern Los Angeles County or Forks, Washington, where we were last Sunday. I think about how does this flock do our mission here in this church and in this area. And then we do that. Pastors should work and guide the church with their fellow pastors and elders. And pastors should guard the flock. Not only guide, but guard. So oversight means guiding. It also means guarding. Guarding from danger, guarding from wolves. Now, not literal wolves. Who are the wolves? Who are the wolves that a pastor should guard his church family from? The world, okay. Now, when you, when you say the world, what do you mean by the world? Like the globe? I know you don't mean the globe. What do you mean by the world? Let's just get more specific here. False teachers, certain people. Okay, we're talking about people. So wolves are people. Okay, someone said false teachers. Anything else? Anything else that pastors should be guarding their church from besides false teachers and some people? False doctrine. False ways of thinking. False, false um, you know, because we're all drinking and teaching and culture from the world every day, including Christians. Every member of our church, every week you're drinking in culture, which you're supposed to. You're living in this world. God called you to this world. But a lot of bad stuff comes in with that. And so pastors need to guard the church and teach the church so that they can filter out the bad because a lot of it comes into their Christianity and their churchianity. And so pastors need to go back to the Bible and just keep on filtering out thoughts to take every thought captive to Christ. So we guard from false teachers. Guess who else we guard from? We guard from, um, we guard from individual members straying, right? Members straying who, who might need to, to be warned. We should not let our, response, our members resign into thin air. Members should resign from this church because they join another church. We need to guard so that, um, so that for, we need to guard even from people inside the church, right? Can't we hurt each other? Don't we sin against each other in this church, among the 82 members of this church? We do, regularly. A lot of it is by neglect. We neglect each other. I mean, if, you're like, oh, I haven't sinned against anyone because I haven't talked to anyone. That's a sin, right? <laughs> you haven't talked to anyone. You haven't, you haven't been praying for people. You haven't, you haven't cared for them. You're neglecting them. That's a sin. And so, so we need to guard each other. I, I, pastors need to guard the flock even from each other so that we're, we're growing together as a church family. And do you know who Paul said would, where wolves would come from in Acts chapter 20? Anyone know? Among who, and who's the you there? Church. No, not the church. That's a good guess. What's another guess? Elders. Paul is talking to the Ephesian pastors. It's like Paul is traveling through LAX, and so he calls all the pastors from Bethany Baptist Church to meet him at the airport because he's only, he's only at a, a layover there, and he can't get out. So he calls all the elders to meet him there, and they meet him there, and he says, shepherd God's flock, and from among this group of 10 of you, wolves are going to come out. So you even guard from fellow pastors. Okay? Nobody's safe in some ways. But in one sense, we're all safe in Christ. But we have to watch. We have to, we have to guard each other. We, we have to be vigilant. 
other than Christ. Christ is the only inerrant, infallible pastor, isn't he? And that doesn't mean we should be suspicious of our pastors, but we should be thoughtful and rightfully critical in terms of our mind, not our hearts, but a, a mind that's thinking regularly. Okay, so that's what pastors should be doing. They should be shepherding. They should be overseeing. They should be guarding and guiding. But how should a pastor shepherd? Look at verses two and three. How should a pastor shepherd? There's three attitudes here that a pastor should have. Three attitudes. In verse two, overseeing, shepherding, not out of what? Compulsion, but willingly. So not mainly out of obligation. He should willingly shepherd the flock. It shouldn't be only out of duty. If pastor's only pastor out of duty, he will be an unhappy pastor. And if he's only a pastor out of duty and he's only unhappy, then he, will, um, he won't faithfully shepherd and the members won't faithfully and joyfully submit to that leadership. So if you're only doing it because you have to do it, then don't do it. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 3, 1, that uh, someone should aspire, should desire the office of overseer. doesn't mean there's no hesitation or fear of the, the weight of the responsibility. But if it's only out of compulsion it's, and not willingly, then he shouldn't do it. And then uh, secondly here, that's the first attitude. So, so not merely out of duty. Um, and why not out of duty? Remember, Peter's writing to the persecuted church. If you're only being a pastor out of duty and your church is getting persecuted and arrested, who's the first target when people are persecuting churches? The pastors, right? The leaders. I don't know about the members, but I know that guy's the leader, so well, let's go after him. So if you're only doing this out of compulsion, you better get out of here because everyone's supposed to suffer. All members, all Christians are supposed to suffer for, for Christ, and especially the pastors will be the first ones targeted often. Now, they're to, they're to do this, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you or according to God's will. God wants happy pastors. God wants willing pastors. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Is that a, are you delighting yourself in God, pastors, and are you doing it such that that it is a desire of your heart to pastor people. I look at brothers, now that we've been four and a half years at this church, you can imagine, um, just for those of you who've been here for the last four and a half years, I get calls from other pastors asking how to help them shepherd their dying churches. I get that call a little bit more regularly now. And um, I feel for them. I have a heart for them because I know what it's like. But I remember, I remember um, pastor friends in the past when when, um, you know, what, considering coming here, but even for pastors going to dying churches, I would look at some pastor friends and they would say, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you doing this? Your church is healthy where you're at in LA. Why are you doing this? And the answer is because God wants me to. And it's a desire. Like you see people, sheep without a shepherd, and there's a desire to shepherd them. And so that has to be part of, because that's the only thing that's gonna get you through the hard times, right? It, shepherding does get hard. And if you're not, if you don't desire, you're only doing it out of duty, well, you're going you're gonna to get filtered out. You're going to get weeded out because it gets tough at times. Not all the time, but at times. Okay, so, so pastors should be doing this according to God's will, delighting in God. There's a second attitude here. So freely, willingly laying down his life for the sheep. Secondly here, look at verse 2 again. Not out of what? Not out of greed for what? For money, but eagerly. So a pastor should do this not for the money. And you look at pastors, they're like, well, you're not going to be a pastor if you're doing it for the money these days, perhaps. Unless you're, well, actually some big churches, so, you know, um, and actually some generous churches. If you find faithful churches, then you could see why pastors might want to do it for the money. Because in faithful, healthy churches, they do take care of their pastors. Not, you know, just luxuriously, but they do take care of their pastors. And so 
there is a temptation for pastors to be a pastor for the money, for a job. When I meet young guys, and that's one of their first questions, I get skeptical really fast. It's like, you know, how much are you making? Or how much do you make? How much do you think I can make as a pastor? I'm like, dude, you know, go look for another profession. Right? Like almost immediately. Like, what, why, why is that one of your questions? And you guys know my story, right? In terms of my calling, uh, why I didn't want to be a pastor. Some of you might remember that. Um, when I was 12, I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor from an altar call from my pastor. But I said no to God. And you know why I said no? Because I wanted to be, does anyone remember? I wanted to be a what? A rich deacon. That's right. I wanted to be a rich deacon. I wanted to be a rich deacon because, um, and rich to me was just middle class, but I didn't know that. So uh, my dad was a deacon at our church and he was faithful to the Lord and sold out to Jesus and he loved the church and we were not poor like our pastor was. Our pastor was poor. We weren't. And I was like, I love Jesus, but I don't want to do that. And so, so I, and so I actually didn't want to be a pastor because I, you know, I was scared of being poor until, and if that's, if that's going to dominate, I, I couldn't really become a pastor until that broke in my heart, that materialism broke. And, and if you're going to be a pastor, you don't do it for money. If you're going to be materialistic, you're going to be a terrible pastor. You don't do it for, uh, out of greed for money, but you do it eagerly. Whether you get paid or not, whether you lose money or not, God provides all your needs. That doesn't mean you're not careful. You've got to provide for your family. But there is a faith that you just trust God to provide for your needs as you obey his call. Okay, that's what pastors need to do. So this is not saying pastors should not be financially supported. But pastors should preach for free, even if they're not paid, because it's their calling. Okay. Matthew 6, 24, you know this verse. No one can serve two masters, since you'll either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so we trust Jesus to provide for our needs. Pastors should trust Jesus to provide for their needs. Churches should trust Jesus to provide for their pastor's needs, even as they willingly um, support their pastors. Because 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this for pastors, but it says it's for all Christians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And it's not financial riches. It's spiritual riches in Christ. Okay, that's the second attitude. So first, don't do it out of compulsion, but willingly. Secondly, don't do it out of greed for money, but do it eagerly. And thirdly, pastors and future pastors and members, these are the pastors you should be supporting and encouraging. Number, verse three, not what? Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being what? Examples to the flock. So not dictator-like, but Christ-like. So pastor willingly, pastor eagerly, and pastor paradig paradigmatically. That's a big word paradigmatically, Exemplar exemplarily, that's another word, not exemplary, that's an adverb, or that's, a, that's an ad adjective, exemplarily, exemplarily, yeah, as an example, there wasn't a good one, single word, as you can tell, I've been trying, okay, so not dictator-like, but Christ-like, it says here, not lording it over those, so pastors, when you pastor, you are to model mature Christianity, you're a model of Christ-likeness here. Now, can pastors abuse their power, yes or no? Yes. They have opportunities to lord it over because there is authority with pastoral ministry. It says in Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders as those who will give an account. There's a divine obligation on Christians to obey their pastors. 
pastors have the authority to give moral obligation to members that are non-sinful. So pastors need to be careful with what they give, what they say. Just like a husband and wife, children to parents, right? Um, it's not, they're all a little bit different in their authority structure, but in all their exercise of authority, they can give directives that have moral obligation bound to it because of their divinely given authority. And pastors can abuse that authority and lord it over their churches. And so Peter says, don't lord it over. Don't do it, not lording over, but, um, but as an example to the flock. Pharisees in Matthew 23, 4 through 11, you know why they wanted to be Pharisees? It was the opposite of Peter's vision here of doing it as a humble example. He, uh, the Pharisees in Matthew 23, they love places of honor. They love to be commended. They love to be praised in the marketplace. They love to be greeted. They love their titles. They love to be exalted by people. But Peter calls us here, in contrast, to be humble, to not lord it over but to be an example. Now, why does, when Peter thinks of being an example, what example does Peter run to in his mind, do you think? Where did Peter learn to be humble as a leader? From who? From Jesus. Do you remember when they were arguing about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom? Who is the Lord? Who's number one among the disciples? And they're arguing, what does Jesus do while they're arguing? This is the night before he dies. He gets up in the middle of their argument, he goes to the side, takes off his cloak, he gets a towel, he wraps it around, and what does he do? He gets a basin of water, pours water in, what does he start to do? He starts to wash their feet. This is John chapter 13. At the, so he washes each of their feet. Remember he gets to Peter? Peter here, this is Peter, right, who wrote Peter. He's the one who tells us to, to serve, not lording over. What did Peter say? Lord, you shouldn't wash my feet. And what did Jesus say? If I don't wash your feet, you have what? You have no part with me. And then Peter says, well, then give me a bath, you know. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, you're already clean. Don't go that far, come on. Just wash your feet, you're already clean. So he washes his feet, and then Jesus is done, and he sits back at the table, and everyone's shocked. And what does Jesus say? If I am your Lord, and I've done this to you, you should do this for one another. I've given you an example to follow. And pastors, all Christians need to follow that example. This is not just for pastors. But pastors of all people, if they're going to be an example to the church of mature Christianity, then they need to be able to wash feet and serve and not lord it over. That's what Peter's talking about here. The church is not a get, you know, it's to be a model of mature Christianity. And where else did Jesus not, um, where else did Jesus model service? Do you remember in Mark chapter 10, again, they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. They did this a lot. This was a common debate among the disciples. And, um, oh no, this, uh, and Jesus, James and John ask, remember James and John ask for the best spots? Uh, you know, the right and left at Jesus' right and left hand. And they even get their mom to ask. Mom, can you ask Jesus if we could get the right and left spot? So Jesus, James and John's mom asked Jesus? Man, they, they were hardcore. They are really going for it. And, and Jesus says to them, um, you're not to lord it over each other. The Son of Man did not come to be what? Serve, but to serve and give his life as a what? As a ransom for many. Jesus did not come to be served, to lord it over. He came to, to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And, so, and, and Jesus died, when he gave his life as a ransom for many, that's what we call the gospel, right? That, that we're sinners, so if you're not a Christian, just listen up for a second here, this is the main message of Christianity. We're sinners, God is holy and he made us, and we are damned to hell, we're condemned for our sins. We deserve God's wrath forever and ever in hell. But God sent Jesus not to be served, 
but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Christ goes on the cross and he dies on the cross for sinners. He takes the wrath and judgment of God, the damnation that sinners deserve who are going to be united to Christ. Jesus takes that on himself on the cross. He dies for sinners as a servant and he rises from the dead so that everyone who repents from their sins and trusts in Jesus Christ can be saved. If you're not a Christian, God is calling you to become a Christian, not by fixing yourself or cleaning yourself up, but by repenting from your sins, turning from following whatever you're following, your other guides in this world, and trusting Jesus as the one who died for you, who lives for you, as your Lord and Savior and Master, and as your treasure, that you would follow Christ. So if you're not a Christian, call on Jesus to save you. Call on him to save you and call on him to lead you as your Lord. That's the message of Christianity, that Christ came to serve. Amen. Now, if that's our message, if that's what Jesus did, and if that's the message of the church, the gospel, does it make any sense that a pastor would start lording it over others as he's preaching a Christ who became a servant? Does that even make sense that those two things go together? It's like you, you contradict your message, Christ the servant, with your leadership style if you're a pastor who lords it over the flock. Pastors need to follow their, 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 their savior, the servant who, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. We would contradict the gospel otherwise. Okay, so we, um, so, so the three attitudes here on how pastors should shepherd is not, um, not out of compulsion, but willingly, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, and thirdly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That's a heavy line, entrusted to you that all the members of a church are entrusted to their pastors for pastoral care. Number three, okay? So we talked about what they should be doing, shepherding, why they should be doing it, or not why, how they should be doing it, and lastly, why they should shepherd like this. Why shepherd this way? Why shepherd sacrificially and happily and eagerly and humbly? Why do it this way? I have a few reasons here. Let me see. I have three reasons here, Okay. Now, reason number one is not in verse four. That's reason number three. Reason number one is in verse one. Verse one says, now it's a word missing in the CSB, and I'm going to email the editor to make sure he knows to put it back in. What's the, what's the word there? Therefore. Therefore. The King James is missing it as well. Sorry, usually I like to give the King James credit for, for succeeding where the CSB has failed, but the King James has failed in this way as well. So has the NIV. The ESV gets it right. It has so... The um, NASB has therefore, but the word is there in the Greek. Therefore, I exhort you. And when you see a therefore, what's the therefore? Therefore, it's to bring you back. He's giving you a reason why you're to exhort, why he's, why he's exhorting them to flock, to, to shepherd the flock. Why? Look at verse 12. Go back, go back just a little bit. Um, it's pointing back to what I would say is sharing in Christ's judgment. Look at chapter 4, verse 12. This is why pastors need to pastor this way. This is why you need pastors. Chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, that's talking to the whole church now. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the what? Fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the what? Sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. So what's happening to the church? Fiery ordeal, trials, troubles, testing of your faith. In chapter 1, verse 6, the refiner's fire. The fiery ordeal is coming on members of this church. You will go through testing. You will go through trials. You will cry your eyes out. You will feel broken and desperate and alone. 
you will go through trials. The church will, as a church and as individuals. You, your sufferings are to come. The suffer, your, you will suffer with Christ before you rejoice with Christ. But look at verse 16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should glorify God in having that name. In other words, they're getting resistance and opposition because they're Christians and they're gospelizing. When you gospelize non-Christians who don't want to hear the gospel, do they appreciate that from you? When they don't want to hear it, they don't appreciate you. They oppose you. They estrange you. Fiery ordeal. Every true Christian wants to make Christ known. And every Christian who makes Christ known either has people getting saved, people who are indifferent, or people who oppose them. And when people oppose you, are you closer to your family, your non-Christian family, or farther from your non-Christian family? Because you're a Christian. Are you closer to your friends and neighbors who are hostile to Christ, or farther from them when you're devoted to Christ? Farther. That's your trial. That's your burden to carry in this life. That's not fun. It's fiery. It's a burden. And, and, so what, and what does God call this in verse 17? This is the scary part. What does God call it? For the time has come for what? Verse 17 of chapter 4. For the time has come for what? Judgment to begin where? With God's household. And if it begins with us Christians, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? In other words, brothers and sisters, for non-Christians, the, the trials that they have are part of God's judgment that's going to lead to damnation. But for you, it's God's fiery judgment that purifies you leading to your final salvation. But it's still judgment. God's judgment begins at the household of God. Not his damning judgment, but it is some form of judgment here. The trials and the testing has to come to Christians in our churches. You will suffer. You are suffering. Many of you have suffered and will continue to suffer before we die. And in light of this fiery judgment, this purifying judgment that comes on Christians, God gives us pastors. This is why we have pastors. Because churches and Christians will go through fiery judgment. And what they need in those moments is shepherds to shepherd their souls. And what they'll need is their church family who has been shepherded so that the church family can actually shepherd their souls as well, right? They need, they need an equipped church from pastors who have equipped the church so that in the fiery ordeal, we can love and support one another and bear each other's burdens. So that's the first reason. So the first reason why pastors need to shepherd in this way is because the church is under fire. The church is under fire. So we need pastors to shepherd the flock so that they can make it through. Second reason why is because of verse one, and this is just an obvious one. Why should we shepherd the flock? Because Peter's the one who commands us. Because we're commanded by Peter. That's why. And who's Peter? Is he the Pope? No, he's not the Pope. Does he? Now, this would, be a good, this would be a good verse to say, I'm the Pope. And this is why you need to shepherd God's flock, right? But he doesn't call himself the Pope. What does he call himself in verse 1? I exhort, I exhort the elders among you as a what? Fellow elder. I'm a fellow pastor. I'm not above you. I'm not your archbishop. I'm not your, I might get in trouble for this, senior pastor. I'm your fellow pastor. I'm your fellow elder. And I exhort you as an elder to my fellow elders to this command. So Peter is, he's, he's, he's leveling the playing field. I'm a fellow elder. I'm a fellow pastor. I'm a co-pastor. But then Peter is also unique because not only is he a co-pastor, he gives something that we are, that, that is unique to him. He's not only a fellow elder, but he does flex his card just a little bit here. 
And he's a witness to what? The sufferings of Christ. Did you see the sufferings of Christ? Were you there when Christ died on the cross? Were you there when he was betrayed? No. But who was? Me. So listen to me. This is what he's saying. I'm a fellow pastor, but I'm also a witness to the sufferings of Christ. I've seen these things firsthand. I, I spent time with Christ. I'm an apostle. I'm an eyewitness to Christ. I was actually shepherded by Christ when I fell and denied Christ three times. And he, he, he picked me up as the good shepherd, and then he told me to feed, feed his sheep. So I'm a fellow pastor. I'm not above you. I'm an eyewitness, but I'm not above you. And I'm telling you, as a fellow elder, as a fellow pastor, as an apostle, as an eyewitness, you need to shepherd God's flock. And church members, you need to follow faithful shepherding of God's flock. That's what Peter's saying. That's the second reason why, because Peter is the one who exhorts us to this task. And the third reason why pastors need to shepherd this way is in verse 4. Why should pastors shepherd this way? And when the chief shepherd, the chief pastor appears, you pastors will what? What will happen? You will receive the what? The unfading crown of glory. I love that. The unfading crown of glory. You will receive a reward. Here's the hope. Jesus will come again. Is Christ coming? Do you believe that? You believe Christ is coming? The church around the world has. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We believe Christ is coming. He will come again. And what will he come with? He will come with a reward. He's going to come with rings, we'd say in basketball language, right? A ring, a championship ring. He's going to come with rings. He's going to come with trophies. He's going to be coming with gold medals. He's going to be coming with a victor's crown, a champion's crown. He's going to be coming with trophies to be handing out to those who have done this faithfully. An unfading crown of glory. An unfading crown of glory. These are real, these are, this is the real competition where, where your competitive juices should flow for being faithful to Christ to get the victor's crown. Sports are great. They're just an echo of what the real competition is. Again, Satan, sin, the world, our own sin, to shepherd and to disciple each other faithfully to the end to receive our reward. And pastors will receive an unfading crown of glory. That's why Jesus says, not only to pastors here, but to all in Matthew 25, 23, when we meet God, he says to some, his master will say to him, well done, good and what? Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Christ is bringing his reward. And that's why we should faithfully shepherd. Now, Peter would receive a reward, wouldn't he? The one, Peter received a reward. Now, this is strange. Peter received a reward? I mean, Peter, Peter who denied Christ three times is going to receive a reward? Peter who was racist, ethnocentric in Galatians 2 and decided to eat with the Jews and leave the Gentiles and deny the gospel with his very meal habits, that Peter's going to receive a reward? The Peter who failed over and over again, is he going to receive a reward? What about you? What about your personal failures? What about my pastoral failures? What about... Pastors like me, when we domineer and we're duty-driven and we're greedy and we're impatient and we give into our fleshly moments in ministry, when we have to give an account, will we receive a reward? The answer is yes, if you're in Christ. Because God rewards sinners, doesn't he? I mean, the only pastors are sinful pastors, right? There are no perfect pastors other than Christ. And when he gives rewards even to you, when he says, well done, good and faithful servant to all of you, he's not saying it to people who have been perfect in this life. He's saying it to sinful Christians. Why? Because Jesus rewards sinners. Why does Jesus reward sinners? Because he died for sinners. 
And then he rose for sinners. And then he gave sinners his resurrection power. And then he gave sinners his Holy Spirit. And then he gave sinners a Bible. Then he gave sinners a local church. And then he gave sinners pastors so that they can follow Christ and walk faithfully with him so that in the end, when they meet Christ on judgment day, they receive a reward. Because God is a God of grace. God is a God who gives gifts and grace and reward to sinners, to failures like you and me. Praise God that Christ is coming with his reward soon. All right, let me close with an application to the church and then conclusion. Application to the church. Verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to who? The elders. Now, that might mean love your, let's just honor elders. But being subject to elders is never said in the Bible. In, I just did my devotions last week on this. In Leviticus 19.32, it talks about respecting your elders like the elderly in the church or the elderly in the community, to love and respect them as younger people. But you never find be subject to them merely by age. That's not really in the Bible. Okay, so I'm taking here elders, because it could go either way. There's a debate here. I'm taking elders here as, he does say, I exhort the elders as a fellow elder. So I'm just taking the context here and assuming here and, and deciding here, believing here that this is referring to the elders, the, the pastors. So here, let me read again. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, pastors, overseers. All of you clothe yourselves with what? With humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So this is what we want to do. We want to humbly receive pastoral leadership and be subject to pastoral ministry in a way that honors God with humility, not with pride. So let me give you four ways of doing this, okay? Four, four, four applications to the church. Four ways of, of um, receiving pastoral leadership. Number one, support them. Support your pastors with Christian love, with encouragement, meeting needs, partnership in gospel ministry. Number two, pray for them. When you pray for your pastors, and if God answers prayers for their health, it helps the church, it helps all of you. Number three, follow them as they follow Christ. So imitate them. That's what Hebrews 13, 7 says. Did I say four? I'm going to give you five. A fifth one came to my mind. Number four is, um, and this is the one that I'm going to add. Number four is, um, receive from, um, um, uh, no, let me say this first. Help them help you. Say it that way. Help them help you. Tell them how they can help you follow Jesus. And lastly, check them. Check the pastors. Test them by scriptures because pastors can fail. Pastors will fail. Pastors will fall. And so test them by the Bible and hold them accountable. Check pastors. Okay, that's five exhortations as you relate to pastor elders. So to close, here's my final call to action. It's number four, but here's my final call to action to you. Gladly receive faithful pastoral ministry from faithful pastors. And if I had to give you one thing to do, let me, and, or if you're from another church, your pastors, wherever they are, and if God adds to our, our church more pastors, then let your pastors know how you think they can help you. You get that? Let your pastors know how you think they can help you follow Jesus. Now I say how you think, because sometimes we don't think the best thoughts of how, but, but let them know your opinion. Let your pastors know your opinion of how you think that they can best help you follow Jesus. If you don't do this, when you have faithful pastors around you, you'll continue to walk around confused when God's calling you to fulfill your ministry. You'll walk around confused, you'll meander, you'll stray, you'll drift from God's calling in your life, and you'll drift from God's calling in our lives as a church family. But if you approach your pastors and you intentionally initiate how you can be helped by them. You will be shepherded in such a way that you'll grow in clarity 
confidence and you'll fulfill your calling as a, as a Christian and as a church family. So let us all, pastors and members, let us all listen and follow the chief pastor because Christ knows his sheep and his sheep know his voice. Father, we pray that you take these words, hide it in our hearts that we wouldn't sin against you. Guide us as we consider who you're raising up in our church to take up the call to pastoral ministry. Help the pastors now, help me and future pastors to pastor faithfully. Help our members to um, receive pastoral leadership and to affirm and strengthen and nurture it faithfully and to uh, even check it when it needs to be checked. We thank you, Father, for this church family. We thank you for this word. We thank you most of all for Jesus, the chief pastor, who never errs, who never fails, who loves and guides us perfectly. We pray that we would honor him and look to him even now as we continue the service. In Jesus' name, amen.